It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Back with another episode of On the Clock. I'm your host, Brett Whitefield. And today we have a super special guest, PFF Steve. Steve, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. For those that don't know, that's Steve Palazzolo. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Steve. He is the head of football product at PFF. And you can also find his podcast on the Apple Podcast Network or YouTube. And it's the PFF NFL podcast. It's actually my favorite podcast, Steve. Oh, wow. Thank you. Appreciate it. There's no way you listen to every minute because we go for a while, but uh, I appreciate you tuning in for sure. You'd be surprised. I think I'm close to every minute. It's, it's really the only <laughs> podcast I listen to religiously. Since, since I started at PFF to even now, three years later after I've left PFF, I still listen to it every, every episode. So Love it. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, well, cool. I wanted to have you on because you have a, you know, coming from PFF, you have such a unique approach at the way you you guys view football. It's obviously very analytical driven, but um, I think what a lot of people miss is that the analytics come from film grinding. <laughs> so uh, I see a lot of, you know, funny discourse on Twitter about, you know, how much tape are these guys watching? Well, they watch all of it because that's how they come up with the data. So um, I, I want to talk free agency and how it relates to the draft, Steve. Some of these teams, they've made multiple moves. Some teams have been kind of stagnant so far. What teams do you really think have kind of changed their course or their, or set themselves up for flexibility in the draft so far? Yeah, so the first, I think the first couple teams that come to mind, Detroit um, absolutely comes to mind with, you know, a couple of cornerback signings like Cameron Sutton and Emmanuel Mosley, um, you know, David Montgomery coming in. So I think the Lions have done a, a really good job, especially with pick six and 18 in the draft, you know, obviously every Lions fan wants a cornerback or somewhere on the, somebody on the defensive side of the ball, and they just don't have to force a corner at six. They, but they're still in a spot where they can they can draft one or they could trade down and still get one of those top four or five guys. A lot of flexibility, I think, for the Lions, um, and I think the Bears. I think somewhat obviously, but they had to they had to spend a ton of money during free agency, and they started filling their linebacker needs. Uh, bringing in DJ Moore at wide receiver, the Bears just doing a ton of work, and then of course getting all the extra draft capital, uh, trading down from the number one spot. I think the Bears, while they'll still go into the draft saying, "Hey, defensive line, certainly a massive need that they need to hit." The Bears at least knocked off, checked off some of those off the list, some of those needs because uh, they had so many coming into the offseason. Yeah, touching on Detroit, the signing the the pair of corners is, I mean, it's it's awesome for Detroit. And what's really cool is just about every mock these days, Steve, either had a corner at six or a corner at 18. And now I think people can probably safely pivot away. It doesn't mean they won't take one, but it's not like, like you said, it's not this, this driving need that's going to kind of shape the whole course of their draft. So that's interesting. The, the bears thing, what do you think they do at nine now? I know you mentioned D line, but for me, I look at this draft for them is all about getting Justin Fields better. You know, give him the Josh Allen treatment he got early in Buffalo. Give him a Stephon Diggs, which they did in DJ Moore, kind of, and uh, and build that way. Do you, do you think they could go receiver or off- offensive line there? Yeah, I mean, you've heard me talk enough about I love shiny objects, so I, I, I really don't think 
that you can look at a wide receiver depth chart and say, oh man, there's there's too many playmakers there. We can't have that, right? So I think a Jackson Smith and Jigba would be really attractive for for the Bears to add him to DJ Moore and Chase Claypool uh, and Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet. So it, like I would I would consider that, right? Um, I think Peter Skaronsky's in play from Northwestern. You know, maybe you uh, don't have to try him at tackle and uh, anymore, and you can um, throw him right in at guard and move on from Cody Whitehair. So um, I, I think I think offensive line and and playmaker should absolutely be in play there. As much as the Bears need defensive line, I do think there's I think there's a drop off from Will Anderson, and we'll see with Jalen Carter from those guys versus the next tier. I don't. I'm not in on Tyree Wilson and some of those other guys that are projected to go really high. So for me, I think the value is probably going to match up at offensive line um, and maybe a a Smith and Jigba for the Bears. I do think they'll consider those defensive linemen there, but I would not I would not hate another another move on the offensive side of the ball for the Bears at nine. Yeah, let me ask you about Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba really quick. So obviously he played mostly slot at Ohio State. I feel like we're getting maybe into the the Justin Jefferson trap of a few years ago where he was surrounded by insane talent and Jamar Chase on one side, Terrace Marshall on the other. Is it possible he only played in the slot because he had Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson there? Do you think he can play on the outside in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's why he played in the slot because of Olave and Wilson, knowing how good they are now. And, I, you know, again, it's it's about looking at how they play, their traits, how he's going to do. Uh, getting off press and everything and in and being a, a high-end slot receiver is also not a bad thing I don't you know, I think it's okay to take those guys at nine you know I look I always look at receiver as this different position where it's not like tackle where if you have a weakness it, it should drop you right like if you have a weakness it can get exploited at the, at the NFL level right if you can't run block or pass protect or whatever it might be you're going to get exploited as a tackle you have to do everything as a receiver, though, teams can play to your strengths. If you can't do something well, they can hide it. Now, that might make you less valuable, but in a, in a world where you need three, four, and five playmakers, even if, you, even if he was a slot only, even if that's your fallback, I think he's going to be so good there, Smith and Jigba, that it's okay to take him that high. So you try him on the outside, move him around. I think he'll have success there, but worst case, you play him in the slot. It's much like a Peter Skaronsky at Northwestern where you say, He's got short arms. Maybe he can't play tackle, but you give him a shot at tackle. He lands at guard. That's okay. He could be very good at guard. I think Smith and Jigba has some similarities there as far as what we say uh, playing outside versus you know playing in the slot. I think he'll be fine, though. Yeah, I agree with you. So I, I ask mostly because I think Moody has been a relatively effective player in the slot for them. So I think whoever they draft, if they do draft the receiver at nine or, or even later, it should be somebody that they view as flexible, someone they can line up in a, you know, a multitude of alignments and, and positions. So, all right, let's, let's move on a little bit. Uh, I want to pivot to the quarterbacks. I've kind of always viewed you as a quarterback guy. Love all of your quarterback takes. You've said some hilarious things over the years, like teams should draft a quarterback every single year, no matter what. I love that take. That's, that's, that's exactly where I'm at. What do you see with this quarterback class? Cause I know Anthony Richardson's the new hot name. I personally love him, but I do see the clear deficiencies there. What are you seeing? How does this board shake out for you at quarterback? Yeah, so I think there. Oh man, what a, it's a it's just a such a crazy year at QB again. I think Anthony Richardson. My take on him has been that not 
I don't think people are disagreeing on what they're seeing. I don't think anybody's going to disagree on what they see on tape. Now, every now and again, you have a guy like Dan Orlovsky, who I call out all the time, jokingly, um, who will go out there and be like, look how accurate Anthony Richardson is on this like one pass. And uh, of course, like, I mean, I was, I could, I could, Brett, I could send you 15 pitches that make me look like a major league pitcher. And I was never (laughs) a major league pitcher. I could show you my best splitters. I could show you my best spotted 93 mile an hour fastballs and say, look, major league pitcher, but I didn't do it often enough. So that's Anthony Richardson, right? He just doesn't do it often enough. But when he does it, like when he's good, when he's on his top 15 or 20 plays look ridiculous, right? He it looks like, you know, when, when you go back and see his highlight reel years from now, it's like, oh, this guy must have won a Heisman at Florida. And he just didn't yet. You know, if you came back, he maybe would have. So I don't think people are really going to disagree on what he is, which is, you know, a monster in the pocket who can make throws from the pocket, who has a cannon, who has flashed absolutely everything, and then can create on the ground in uh, in an incredible way, both as a design runner and as a scrambler. We saw him run for, I forget what it was, 80 yards, whatever it was against LSU on one play. And all of that stuff is real. So now I think the debate is, how do you value that? How do you value this quote unquote upside and all of the comparisons are going to be Josh Allen and Cam Newton and Justin Fields and whoever else you want to throw out there. And then you say, okay, how do you, how do you value that? You know, because Josh Allen developed from inaccurate to accurate and from one of the most erratic quarterbacks to one of the best, I, I don't know how much that skews our evaluations. And we say, Hey, look, that guy Richardson looks like Allen at the same time. Therefore, He'll become Josh Allen. Give me that, you know, give me Richardson. It depends on how you value that stuff. Do you think Josh Allen is an outlier and you're afraid? Do you think Anthony Richardson's still just further behind where Josh Allen was? That's a possibility as well. Did he ever truly carry a team like Cam Newton did? Not really. Um, so it's about how you're valuing this skill set from Anthony Richardson, which is incredible athlete, incredible thrower from a velocity standpoint, but incredibly inconsistent from a footwork and accuracy standpoint. So I think we're going to describe them the same way, but I, I don't know if every team's going to be willing to uh, take that developmental risk. Yeah. Who's going to be willing to bet on the traits is the big discussion there. Do you think there's any chance Carolina traded up for him? Yeah, I think there's a chance. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the buzz for Carolina is largely built off of Josh McCown doing a video with Josh Norris on <laughs> underdog fantasy i mean that's that's the buzz josh mccown is the qb coach in carolina and we've seen him rave about cj stroud but he's literally one of several evaluators for the panthers and that that includes head coach frank reich that includes all the scouts that includes a lot of other people in the building so maybe josh mccown has more influence maybe and look here's the thing too josh mccown's not in his own world here you know, I've talked to others around the league who also agree C.J. Stroud's the best quarterback in the NFL uh, in the draft. So it's not like this is crazy that the Panthers might want Stroud, um, but that seems to be what people are expecting because of what they're projecting, what they're hearing, seeing Josh McCown. But absolutely, Anthony Richardson could be in play, and I do think they traded up and said, "Let's finish the process. Let's let's still evaluate these guys. There's still more to go in the evaluation process." Bryce Young. It's easy to get caught up in Bryce Young before you look at how short he is. You know, I think teams will, somebody's going to 
fall in love with him enough. So I, I think it could be any one of those. I don't think it's Will Levis, but I think it's one of those Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, or Anthony Richardson, I think all could be theoretically in play. Yes. I the the lines in Vegas on first overall have been crazy to me. I got Richardson at a hundred to one, I think early February. And I'm just licking my chops right now. Just start just the pray. buzz. Get the buzz That's going. What happens, you know, but we've talked a good bit about Stroud on this podcast. We've also talked a good bit about Richardson. Tell me a little bit about Bryce Young. I don't think anyone's come on and talked about Bryce Young. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look a lot, I've heard a lot of people say we had Rick Spielman on our podcast, give that phrase. If he's six two, he's the number one overall pick. We're not even asking questions. We're not even thinking of the other guys. That was the type of stuff we heard about Russell Wilson when he came out back in 2012. It's the only thing limiting him is the height. Um, Bryce Young ticks all the the quarterback boxes, right? He throws with anticipation. He's got a he's got a good arm. I think a lot of times short guys get uh, get dinged for not having a good arm, even if they do. I think people just kind of plays with people's heads. I think uh, Baker Mayfield dealt with that a little bit. Baker Mayfield had incredible velocity at all times. And um, arm was never an issue with him. Um, Drew Brees never had a good arm. And I think a lot of people think, well, Drew Brees was short. So either way, Bryce Young has a good arm. He's got great feel. And I, I, I also think because of what's happened in the NFL recently, we're all kind of looking for that, not full Patrick Mahomes, but we're just looking for natural playmaking, right? We're just looking for something along those lines. Who's going to make a little magic happen outside of structure. And that's Bryce Young. You know, Anthony Richardson does it differently. I don't think, I don't think Richardson goes or has incredible football feel. He just outruns people and just makes it, you know, incredible plays. Um, not completely as an athlete, but off of his athletic skill. I think Bryce Young has a great feel for the game, natural, playmaking so that's where I think he's different from the rest of those top quarterbacks so I think Bryce Young's just fantastic in a lot of what he does the question is the height and durability and the fact that he is legitimately smaller than Kyler Murray who obviously looks small on the field Kyler Murray Russell Wilson both have issues throwing the ball over the middle will Bryce Young have some of those issues do you limit some of the field all of those questions are valid Bryce Young probably takes too many hits that he shouldn't take you know, in one conversation, somebody says he's really tough, which I agree with. He's tough. He got beat up in the Tennessee game, kept coming back. On the other hand, he can't take all those hits. So there's a lot of what ifs with Bryce Young. But I think the the baseline of quarterback play is just higher for Bryce Young than some of those other quarterbacks at the top. Yeah, the, the accuracy and the playmaking ability is obviously special. I think the thing that stuck out to me when I watched this tape, the only thing that was I was really getting flustered by, Steve, was that he kind of has a, a pretty slow trigger at times. Like he almost relies on those playmaking skills too much. And it, it felt like at times he wouldn't want to throw the ball unless he saw it wide open. And yeah, it, we've seen other quarterbacks do that, right? Like Jalen Hurts did that. Kyler Murray did that. Uh, Mac Jones to an extent did that. So is, is that a big problem for you? Is that you think that's something he can improve on and get and get faster getting through his reads and, and consistently delivering that ball? Yeah, I've I've come around on on quarterbacks being able to work quicker. I mean, even if you go back in the day, Tom Brady was slow relative to what he is. I mean, certainly relative to what he became in the NFL, but he was coming out of a system in Michigan that was like deep seven step drops, right? I mean, yeah. his his whole world was working slow because of what they did. Um, I've seen Carson Wentz speed up his process, whatever it's worth. I've seen Jimmy Garoppolo speed up his process 
from his early NFL days to what he became. So I think I think speeding up the process, if it's just a tick slow, can be sped up. I do think a guy like Justin Fields, who was probably on the really slow end and probably taking too many negative plays, he's had a bit of a challenge from a pass game standpoint. Um, but I think it's doable. I do think it's doable to speed up a little bit. For Bryce Young, I think a lot of it's mechanical. I think he's just really methodical in how he drops back and and sees the field. So he's just got to speed everything up a little bit and then find that balance. It's When you are a natural playmaker, it's about balance. You have to take what's there within structure and then win outside of structure when presented with the opportunity. That is a challenge for everybody. We've seen that with Aaron Rodgers through the years. We've seen that with Russell Wilson, with Deshaun Watson. Guys who can create outside of structure sometimes do lean on it too much, and you always have to find that balance. And all of those guys have gone back and forth between really good balance and then other times you know, maybe relying on their playmaking too much. So I think it's a common thing that we see around the NFL and something Bryce Young can deal with. Really, really great points. All right, one guy I wanted to ask you about before you go, and I hope you've watched him, and that's Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker. I, I'm in this alternate universe. Like, say I'm Ant-Man and I can go go to some, you know, alternative timeline, Steve. I feel like there's a there's a, a place where he doesn't tear his ACL, and we're talking about him as a, as a lock first-round pick. Do you agree with this? And if so, tell me about Hendon Hooker. So I've watched him a little bit, probably not enough to really get into the details. But I, the, the challenge here is going to be the offensive scheme. And, and I know the whole point is to try to, to separate that. I mean, I think he makes – we talk about toughness. I mean, he, he was going head-to-head with Bryce Young against Alabama. Uh, that somewhat sold me on Hendon Hooker. You know, being able to make that – he had that big deep in – uh, to get them into field goal range to win it, you know those types of throws. Like he's he's got them all in the bag. I just don't know what you get out of watching his tape. They it is the old Baylor offense where they put receivers out by the they they line them up by the cheerleaders out on the <laughs> sideline as wide as possible, and they don't actually have reads. I mean this is and this has been an evaluation issue since uh, Drew Locke for one year. Uh, Bryce Petty coming out when he was at Baylor and and, uh, a few other schemes through the years where you're really just throwing deep balls one-on-one all the time. You know, this is a Jalen Hyatt for Tennessee. It's an evaluation issue for him. The dude's super fast, but he's just running through the secondary wide open because a switch release is like a foreign language for opposing defenses in, in college football. So that's the challenge, I think. You know, we looked it up the other day. Hooker's only had 15 plays where he had to get to a second read. Uh, not get to, but actually went to a second read and, and, and made a throw. Uh, not including scramble drill or anything like that. Like so, so this always comes back to it doesn't mean he can't do it. It just means, boy, is it a projection to see him do those things. Plus, he's 25 and has the ACL, obviously. So those things were probably going to add up against him. So I, I, I have him in that. QB five mix. I think you've got uh, some people like Stetson Bennett as the fifth quarterback, you know, from Georgia. Some people like Clayton Toon from from Houston. I think Hooker's right in that mix as as the fifth best. Now, would it surprise me if he was better than a Will Levis? I don't think so. I've soured on Levis. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me or anything. I just think you're looking at a huge projection for him to the NFL because of the scheme, but he's got the tools. And if you're not afraid of the age, yeah, I mean, I. I could see Hooker being right there in that mix of, of QB five. I don't know where that lands in the draft. I don't think anybody's going to put him in the first round and say he's going to be 
our starter, but somebody's going to take a shot on him and, um, you know, could be, could pay off. Cause like you said earlier, I said, just draft quarterbacks because we don't know. Like there are, there is a lot of unknown here and the payoff could be incredible with hooker. Yeah. The progression stuff aside too, like he's a very accurate thrower, but he's also throwing to wide open guys most of the time in the NFL when he has much tighter spaces and congested areas. I wonder if that accuracy is going to maintain itself. Um, I'm willing to bet on it, I think, but not everyone will. I know Mike's a, a big Tanner McKee guy. He came on here and talked to Tanner McKee. Do you like Tanner? I don't love Tanner McKee. I think we we need Mike to – we keep joking that we're going to have to have him. We're going to give him his own five-minute segment where he sells Tanner McKee. Um, I get the – you know, with all of these guys, again, it's trying to isolate what their contribution and what they've been put in, right? So – I'm sure Mike's argument is, look, he's in this this offense where nobody's creating separation, all he's making is tight window throws. I mean, so did KJ Costello at Stanford a couple of years ago, right? But that's how he was. He was just throwing up uh, back shoulders left and right to, you know, six, five tight ends and receivers. Um, so, again, you know, he could work. I don't know if he's dynamic in the pocket. He's he's definitely got a good arm. I don't know if it's spectacular or anything like that. So I think Tanner, Tanner McKee's fine and Look, Davis Mills came out, and I think he's established himself as a guy that should be a good backup going forward. Maybe McKee ends up doing that. I'm not sure I see the the starting potential, though, like Mike does. Awesome stuff. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, listeners, you can find him again at PFF underscore Steve, and check out the NFL PFF podcast on YouTube or the Apple podcast arena. Steve, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.